Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. I would like to introduce Dr. John Andrews, who's visiting us from um, England. Uh, he's uh, Irish, um, but he uh, married an English uh, lady. And lives in England now, has been living in England for, for quite some time. He's a very avid Liverpool supporter, so he's really glad that Liverpool's in the final of the Champions League. <laughs> he never walks alone, not only because he supports Liverpool, but also because he's a child of God. <laughs> and Jesus promised that he'll never leave us or forsake us. <laughs> um, you know, two of the things that I really... Um, look to to see how mature someone is and and how godly someone is is how they interpret scripture and how they interpret life you know what experience what happens to them and um, i must say i i don't i only know john a little bit but the little bit that i've seen and that we've discussed i've been really impressed with how serious he is about interpreting scripture on the one hand really making sure that he understands it and and obeys it but also how well he interprets life and how he responds to life. You know, I think one of the biggest um, signs of uh, maturity in us is if not how we respond to the good times, but how we respond to the bad times. Not how we respond to when everything is going well, but how we respond to when things are falling apart or when we're being betrayed or when, you know, other people let us down. And, um, you know, I... I in, just in our discussions, examples of that happening in John's life have come up. And, and I've just um, noticed the distinct absence of bitterness in the way he discusses it. And it is a distinct absence of bitterness and resentment in the way he talks about the people who have let him down. Um, and, and that's so beautiful to me. You know, it, it, it speaks to me about someone who, who, um, who's really um, mature in the Lord. And, and who really, um, that I can safely receive from, and, and that I think you guys can safely receive from. So I want to encourage you, open up your hearts, and uh, let's listen to the wisdom that, that the Lord has given John, uh, and, and, and that he wants to share with us through him. So thank you, John. Bless you. Good morning. It's wonderful to be here and to share with you. I've been here since, uh, well, since Tuesday night. And uh, although the week has flown by, we've had an amazing week together with some of the shofar leaders and also some of you guys that connected with Wednesday, Thursday night. And so it's a joy, joy, joy to be here. And thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you for the trust and the kindness and the hospitality. It's been fantastic. Uh, I'm told today is, is like winter for you guys, right? Come on. That's just not right. Okay. It's not fair that you would call a day like this winter. See, in England, people will be stripping off. They will be going to the beach, having barbecues. I mean, we, sun's out. Let's go. Um, and you guys are shivering, blankets, cuddling each other, hoping the Holy Spirit's fire will fall for no other reason than to keep you warm. Um, come on. So I, I'm sorry uh, that I'm not feeling your pain uh, this morning, because I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. Uh, I bring greetings to you uh, from our church, which is called One Church, 
And we're one church in seven different locations. And uh, our, our senior leaders send their love and people are praying for you, praying for this trip. Uh, and also from my family. So I'm married to Dawn. Uh, we will be married 30 years in July. Come on. And uh, actually, no, she, she's the one. She's the one that deserves the round of applause. Um, so I'll take that back to her. Thank you. Um, and we met in Bible college, uh, and she's the outside of Jesus. Genuinely, genuinely, she's the best decision I've ever made. She's a wonderful woman. Uh, we have three children together. Elena is our oldest. She's married to Dan. She's 25. Uh, Simeon, our son, is 21. And Bethan is just turned 17. Uh, so she's got her provisional driving license ready to rock ready to take on the world. And then we have two wonderful, gorgeous, scrumptious sausage dogs. So we are big sausage dog fans. Any sausage dog lovers here? Come on. Come on. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Receive an extra blessing today in Jesus' name. I'm a sausage dog fan. And uh, low riders, we call them. So, uh, so, you know, belly scraping on the floor. And so we have two sausage dogs. The boy sausage dog is called Pepperoni. And uh, the girl sausage dog is called Salami. They, they are their real names, it's true. And, uh, and they've, they're, they're married and everything. They've got together and had baby sausages. Uh, so we've had two batches of baby sausages running around the house. So, uh, so I have to mention them because they get upset when I don't mention them uh, wherever I go. Uh, my, my youngest daughter, she said, Dad, you talk more about the dog than you do about me. And I said, that's not true. All the time. Um, so, so, yes, so, so that's us. That's our world. It's a joy to be with you. And it's my joy for a few moments this morning to open up the Bible and hopefully encourage you and maybe in line with some of the words we've already had. Uh, this morning. I want to share something from the Bible in 2 Corinthians. So if you've got a Bible with you and you want to read with, with me, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians and we'll start reading from verse 3 down to about verse 13. Let me give you a little bit of context. This is Paul, a man called Paul speaking. Sometimes we refer to him as the Apostle Paul. And Paul, uh, a little bit before this, had helped to plant the church at Corinth, which is the church he's writing to now, a church just like this one, and he's writing to them to encourage them. But somehow in the journey, the relationship between Paul and the church that he loves and has helped plant has become a little bit strained. And we're not quite sure why, but Paul's almost having to write to them here in the second, what we call Second Corinthians, and he's almost having to sort of uh, win them over again. It's a really strange letter in some cases, and it's like he's, he's trying to sort of open up their hearts to him. So when you read Second Corinthians, you'll get little glimpses of that. You'll get little moments of, of personal insight from Paul, and uh, none more so than this passage we're going to read now. So Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, this is Paul speaking. He says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. You glad you came? Um, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand, and in the left, 
through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. Interesting little passage. It seems like an obvious thing that when you experience a moment where you are disappointed in something, someone, a situation, that the natural progression of that is to move to disappointment. So, so if, I, if I'm disappointed today, uh, then disappointment is the natural next step. In fact, many people would think that disappointed and disappointment are the same thing. But actually, they're very different. They sound the same. They've got sort of similarities without question. But I've discovered this in my journey, and I think this is what Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 6. I think there is a profound difference between being disappointed and moving to disappointment. Okay? Sounds the same, but I think they're different. So, So for me, disappointed, in a sense, is an event something that happened. Whereas disappointment is like an experience. It's something that I now move into. Okay? Disappointed, we could maybe think of as a crisis moment, a crisis in our life, something bad's happened or or not that we expected. Whereas for me, disappointment is is not a crisis. It's, It's almost a choice. It's almost something that we uh, move into. Let me, let me maybe give you some examples to break it down a little bit. My, my football team, Liverpool, are in the final of the Champions League. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. All that prayer and fasting worked. And, uh, and so I'm so grateful to Jesus for that we're in the final. Now, now, my team get to the final, and I hope this is not a prophetic word. My team get to the final, and they lose. No, no, we're not accepting that. But that's just... In theory, in theory, let's just think they lose. Now, that would be disappointed. All right, you with me? But if I then took my Liverpool shirt and burnt it in the garden, burnt my scarf, took all my Liverpool pictures and threw them in the bin and never watched Liverpool ever again, that's disappointment. You with me? My sausage dogs... uh, Chew my favorite pair of shoes. Some of you would feel my pain in that moment. Who's with me? All right. I love shoes. So, so my sausage dogs eat my favorite pair of shoes. Now, that's disappointed. Disappointment would be selling my sausage dogs on eBay as a result of that. All right. Two sausage dogs for sale. Any price offered. We'll take it. Okay. Chew, uh, shoe-chewing sausage dogs. Are, are you with me? Someone let you down, that's disappointed. Never trusting anybody again is disappointment. God didn't answer your prayer 
the way you wanted. I'm sure that's never happened to anyone here. Only happens to people in England. Okay. God didn't answer your prayer the way you wanted or expected. That is disappointed. Never praying again or walking away from God or walking away from Jesus or never darkening the door of the church again, that's disappointment. You see the difference? One is an event, the other is an experience. And what joins them together is choice. Come on now. What connects my disappointed with Liverpool and my never supporting them again is my choice, my decision. What connects God not answering my prayer and me leaving the church is a choice. Are you with me? And actually, when we read this passage in Paul, that's sort of what we're hearing. We're hearing, if we're honest, if we're prepared to read it properly, we're, we're, we're hearing a little bit of, of disappointed in Paul. He's looking at the church in Corinth and going, I don't quite understand why you're behaving like this. I mean, you pick that up right at the end. We haven't withheld our love from you, but you've withheld it from us. Well, that's, that's a bit of a disappointed, isn't it? A church you've planted, poured your life into, sacrificed for, and they're giving you a wee bit of pushback. That's disappointed. But notice, will you, that Paul doesn't allow that to become disappointment. Why? Because he's still committed to the church. He's still trying to help them. He's still trying to serve. He's still trying to give himself to them. He's trying to minister into where they are. You see, disappointed happens to everybody. There's not a person in this room who has not at some point in your life been disappointed. We are all joined by that common truth. Not that of I want you to leave depressed or anything. I want you to be happy and enjoy the winter sunshine as you leave. Everybody in this room has been disappointed. But, there, but that doesn't mean you have to be living in disappointment. And the difference is the choices we make. And as we look at this passage, we see some choices Paul made by the power of the Holy Spirit out of the truth of his relationship with the Lord Jesus, he makes some choices that stop disappointed becoming disappointment, that literally block that journey so that, so that he doesn't end up falling out with the Corinthians. He remains not only their friend, but he, he remains someone committed to their well-being and their success. And I want to just pick up on those choices that Paul made, and maybe they'll encourage me and you. Is that okay? All right, well, I'm going to do it anyway, whether you, whether you think it's all right or not. So here we go. Here's the first one. Uh, here's what Paul says to us. To stop disappointed becoming disappointment, we need to, first of all, focus on the right things. It was really interesting that the person who came and shared a little bit from Romans chapter 12 used that very expression. He talked about focusing on Jesus. Look at Paul's language here. Verse 9, he says this, dying... Yet we live on. He says, beaten, yet not killed. Now, depending on what sort of a person you are, will depend on which bit of that phrase you focus on. Okay? So are we going to focus on the dying bit or the fact that we live on? Are we going to focus on the fact we've had a bit of a beaten or the fact that we are not yet killed? See that? See, Paul's, Paul's not hiding the fact that 
he feels like he's dying. He's not hiding from the fact that he's had a bit of a kicking, that he's, he feels a bit beaten up by life and even by the Corinthians. So he's not pretending. Paul doesn't disguise or hide any of that, and neither should we. But here's Paul saying, I'm well aware of the situation I'm in, the sort of beating that I've had from you, yet, he says, yet I won't give in to that. Here's what he says, even though I'm dying, I yet I will live on. Even though I've been beaten a little bit by this stuff, I am not yet killed. Do you know, focus is absolutely crucial. And here's Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the truth of the Word of God, making a decision to focus on something. He makes a decision not to focus on the dying bit, but to focus on the living bit. He makes a decision not to focus on the beaten bit, but the fact that he's not yet killed. Come on now. That's a choice. And we say, well, that's just Paul. Paul's like, like full of God, full of the Holy Spirit, full of testosterone. You know what Paul's like? He's like just out there. But actually, Paul is speaking here as a follower of Jesus, and he's, he's speaking to the Corinthians, and he's speaking to me and you in the 21st century, and he's saying, all of us will experience a moment where we're disappointed, but we don't have to let that become a disappointment. I've discovered something in life. You follow your focus. I was out bike riding yesterday in Johannesburg. I was. You're looking at me going, Why? I was out, and uh, my, my host, Peter and Karen, took me out with little baby Ross, and he was on the, the back of uh, Karen's uh, uh, bike, and all suited and booted, got his helmet and everything on. He looked amazing. And, uh, and so we, we went out bike riding in the, in the park around uh, Johannesburg. It was amazing. It was fantastic. We did somewhere between 16 and 18 kilometers. If I'm walking a bit funny... It's just the saddle was a bit, you know, tight. Do you know what I mean? It's like, ooh, yeah, baby, come on. Okay, every bump. Hello. It's just like, it's just a bit of a moment. So you've got to watch that. Uh, and so, so when outside, it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, but one of, one of the things I picked up really quickly was even though lots of cyclists are around us, there's lots of little potholes and bumps and, and, and stones and roots hey, you got to watch that stuff, all right? And here's the thing. If you get distracted from where you're going, then you'll hit something. Uh, now, now, Peter and Karen don't know this because I was at the back of the column at this point, um, but I almost fell off the bike. And the reason I almost fell off is because I got distracted. I, I looked at something, and as I looked at it, the bike pulled to the right. And I just hit the ridge on this path. There's like grass on each side and a narrow dirt ridge. And I sort of hit the ridge and the bike sort of went that way. And I did a little bit of a detour and sort of came back right onto the path. Now, the reason that I nearly fell off was not because of the bike, not because of my inability to ride a bike, but because I got distracted. My eyes looked somewhere. And you, here's what you discover. If you look right, you go right called target fixation, yes? If you're ever behind someone on a, on a road or on, on, a, on a highway or a motorway, uh, you can tell when they're not quite focused on their drive, when they're applying their mascara, perhaps, or reading a book, or texting someone, or snap 
just Snapchatting or something. I, I, I was on a motorway in England uh, last week, and I was, I mean, we're driving pretty fast here, within the speed limit, of course. Because I'm a Christian. So I stay within the... <laughs> Stay within the speed limit. But I'm driving behind this guy, and I can tell he's wobbling and weaving. He's speeding up and slowing down, and there's nothing in the road to make him do that. I literally pulled out to the outside lane, pulled alongside. How do we look? Not a word of a lie. iPhone on, on his steering wheel, and he's doing this sort of stuff. At like 70 miles per hour, he's driving while flipping or fobbing or doing something, sending a message. And you can tell why. Because... In his brain, he thinks he's going straight. But he's not. And the reason he's not is because his eyes aren't looking straight. You will follow your focus. So here's the thing. If you're going to focus on the disappointed, guaranteed number one result, you'll you'll move into disappointment. You will. Now, now someone's going to come at me and say, John... My, my, my disappointment was pretty big. I get it. Listen, I've been on the planet long enough to know that disappointment hurts. I get it. I've got a few bruises, a few scars. We could compare scars maybe afterwards. Let's have a scar comparing competition, shall we? Uh, but we wouldn't want to compare our scars to this man. Because I'm reckoning like he would win. <laughs> We're a bit of scar envy going on here. All right. Okay, now here's a scar. Okay. Now listen, I'm not minimizing you're disappointed. I'm not. So don't hear that, please. But if you focus on it, there's only one way you're going. Come on now. There's only one way you're going. So here's what Paul's saying. You've, by God's power, by the power of the Spirit, by the Word of God, we've got to somehow not look at that thing. We've got to find another focus. We've got to lift our eyes to Jesus as we've been encouraged to do today. We've got to lift ourselves beyond that so that we're not focusing on the dying bit. We're not focusing on the beaten bit. We're focusing on something bigger. That's why worship's important. Worship isn't a time filler. It's like you're not a time filler for the main event. Worship together corporately is training you to look at something, even though you'd rather look at something else. So some of you have come in today feeling pretty terrible. Uh, and, and the last thing you feel like doing is singing along with this crowd up the front. But actually what they're training you to do is take your eyes off the moment you're in, take your eyes off the pain, take your eyes off the disappointed, and look at someone bigger. Look at something better. Look at something beyond the moment you're in. And if you can learn to do that, here's what happens. Focusing on Him gets us back on track. Come on. Now, now the issue that disappointed you still might be bouncing around, but it's not controlling you. Are you with me? Maybe some people in this room need to just make a decision this morning. I'm going to stop looking at that thing. I'm not going to ignore it. It's there. Can't ignore it. But I'm not going to allow it to take my focus. Are you with me? Here's the second piece of advice Paul gives us. And these are all relevant, but it may be just one's relevant for you. But, but here's the second piece of advice that Paul gives to stop us moving from disappointed to disappointment. And he says this. He says to us, speak the right words. 
speak the right words. Look at this. Verse 10, he says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Wow. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Those two things, again, like the first statement, they seem to be a contradiction. They're like opposites. So, so Paul is saying, he's admitting to the fact that in the disappointed, there's been sorrow. He's not ignoring it. And I like that about Paul. He's not like ducking and diving on that. He's letting everybody know, hey, this hurt a little bit. But here's what he's saying. Even though I'm sorrowful, sad because of this, I have made a decision to rejoice. Wow. Love that. Paul makes a choice to rejoice. Sounds a wee bit cheesy, that, but it's, it's bang on the button, actually. It's, it's a brilliant idea. Make a choice to rejoice. Later on, Paul would write to a church in a place called Philippi, and he would say to them, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And the danger is we read those sorts of statements and say, well, that's Paul, like he's just, it's easier him to say. But actually, the, the church that Paul is writing to, Philippi, when Paul planted that church with a man called Silas, they ended up in prison, and they literally practiced what they're now preaching. In the, in the prison in Philippi, at midnight, it says, they prayed and sang hymns to God. In chains, after being stripped, beaten, humiliated, put in the inner cell, no lights, no central heating system, no colored TV to comfort them as they're in their chains. No nice treatment. These men are now chained and stuck, bruised and beaten. And in the darkness of the midnight hour, they sing. They, they bring a, a praise to God. Now, that's not natural. That's not normal. That's weird. In the natural, it is weird. Because when you're sorrowful, you mourn. That's natural, right? When you're sorrowful, you want everybody to know you're sorrowful. Don't want to ruin anybody's party, but I'm having a really bad day. <laughs> okay? You, you want the world around you to stop for a minute and recognize your own sorrow. So that's natural. I get that. That's a human thing to do. What Paul and Silas are doing in the prison, what he's saying here to the, to the church at Corinth, and me and you in the 21st century, feels really weird because it's not normal. It's not natural. It's not your normal response. It's Paul saying that actually, if we're going to grow into God's best, there, there will be moments when you want to cry when you want the world to mourn with you, but those moments, you've got to make a decision to rejoice in Him. You've got to make a decision, lift up praise and confess Him. Amen? Sometimes you have to sing when you're not winning. I'm a, I'm a soccer fan, and, and one of the things that football teams try to do is quieten the opposition fans. And, and if you could score a few goals, the opposition fans generally stop singing. They quieten down. What Liverpool fans are famous for is singing. They have a famous anthem. You'll never walk alone. 
They sing it like as a worship anthem before the match begins. Absolutely true. I'm not making this up. And it's a magnificent song. That's why Jesus is a Liverpool supporter. (laughs) You'll never walk alone. That's straight out of the Bible. Isn't it? It's amazing. And I've been at Anfield where Liverpool play, and I have literally seen forty to 50,000 people genuinely with their hands in the air singing, you will never walk alone. And the only thing that's missing is Jesus. It sounds like worship. It feels like worship. Do you know why? It is worship. And many of those people in that ground are in debt. They're in brokenness. They're in fear. They're in anxiety. But for a few glorious minutes inside that football ground, they forget about all of that and they just focus on their favorite team. And as they worship their favorite team, for a few minutes, the debt is forgotten. For a few minutes, the family problems. For a few minutes, the kids on drugs are forgotten. For a few minutes, the unemployment is forgotten. Why? Because they are bringing a song of praise to their team. Now, if a bunch of men, some of them slightly intoxicated, it has to be said, can sing at the top of their lungs to a football team, what's our problem? Come on now. I don't feel like it. What have your feelings got to do with anything? What's feelings got to do with truth? Come on now. If I did things because I felt like it, I'd shave once a year. Like, seriously, I'd brush my teeth once a week. Come on now, who's with me? If I felt, if I did, if I read the Bible when I felt like it, do it maybe once a month. If I worship when I felt like worshiping, I'd hardly ever worship at all. Come on now. If I prayed when, when a, the goose pimples came and the, felt like the angels were in the room, I'd never pray. Come on now. Come on, are you with me? Some of you are. Some of you are saying, John, it's time for you to get on the plane <laughs> and go to Cape Town. Okay, maybe that's true. But let me say this. If we focus on the, dis- on the disappointed of sorrow, then that's where we're going. It will lead us naturally to disappointment. But actually, in the midst of our sorrow, when the natural feels to, to mourn, there is something supernatural that the Holy Spirit wants to draw out of us that speaks out praise, speaks out praise to God. We're not, we're not praising because we're in pain. We're praising because He's good. Come on now. We're not, we're not happy because we're suffering. Hello? I mean, Seriously. Who wants to join that group? I hate suffering. I hate pain. I'm a human. I don't want any pain. I don't want suffering. I don't want sorrow. So I'm not praising God because I'm having a bad day. I'm praising God because God's good in the bad day. I'm praising Jesus because He's still the Lord in the bad day. I'm praising Him because even when stuff is going wrong out there, He is still God. This is church, right? Okay, I'm in the right place. <laughs> Are you with me? Okay, maybe. Here's the third thing Paul says to us. Third encouragement. We're almost there. He says, thirdly, do the right things. Look at this, verse 10. Amazing statement. Amazing statement. He says, poor, yet making many rich. 
What? See, we read this stuff in our daily devotions with our cup of coffee in our hand and just move over that statement. It's just like, that's Paul. Poor, yet making many rich. I mean, that grabs me. That jumps out of the page. And I want to know, what does that mean? How can you be poor and make people rich? What's going on there? What is that? What does it mean? And here's Paul speaking of the challenge of his context, the challenge of a world that looks like he's poor in in many levels, not just materially, but looks like he's poor in terms of his relationship with the Corinth. Uh, It it looks like he's poor in, in what society thinks of him. And yet Paul says, even though at many levels people would say, I am poor, yet I am determined to make people rich. And, and, and you can apply that right down to the situation at Corinth. So it's like he's saying to them, your reaction to me, your lack of love to me, you're sort of, you know, holding me at arm's length, it's sort, of, sort of making me poor. But I'm determined not to reciprocate. I'm determined not to give you pushback back. I'm determined that I'm going to be generous with you. I'm determined that I'm going to give myself to you. In fact, later on, he says that I'm, it's like I'm poured out as a drink offering for you. Even though you're not being very nice to me, I'm going to bless you. See, that's the mentality that shifts a normal human reaction. Someone's bad to us. Our normal human reaction is to be bad back. Do unto others, but do it first. Yes? It's that idea of, of, of uh, giving back in kind. That's the way the world works. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. You ignore me, I'll ignore you. you. You don't invite me to your party, I'll not invite you to my party. You don't like me on Facebook, and I'll unfriend you on Facebook. Got it. Are you with me? But what Paul's asking us to do is something supernatural something counterintuitive. He's saying, listen, when the world's coming against you and it's making you feel sorrowful, uh, it's, it's making you feel poor, sorry, that's the moment to give. My, my, my wife and I have practiced this principle, and here's what we believe. Now, you, you feel free to disagree. We believe this. Giving helps with healing. We believe that, all right? Now, it's counterintuitive. That is not normal. That's kingdom. That's supernatural. But we've practiced this over our lives. And I've seen uh, her, I've seen at moments of pain and difficulty, she was, she was released from a particular uh, employment context a little while ago. And actually, in that employment context, she was only paid to do about 17 hours of week of work. So it was a part-time context. But, but to be fair, they hadn't treated her very well. They didn't treat her very nice. On her last week of work, she put in 40 hours. Why? Because this principle, you've made me poor, but I am determined to make you rich. I'm going to leave brilliantly. I'm going to leave my office spotless. I'm going to make sure every I's dotted and every T's crossed. I'm going to make sure that I give my very best to the very last moment so that we actually walk away from this. All right, at one level, we've been made poor materially, but on another level, we are rich in Christ. Why? Because we're not giving in to that mentality. We're not going to allow people's lack of generosity or their poverty spirit to make us poor. We're not going to do it. 
We're determined to be rich. Here's what Paul says in the book of Acts, quoting Jesus, although we can't find this quote in the Gospels, but he quotes Jesus and he says this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we tend to think of blessed as something I'll get for, for being generous. But no, it doesn't just mean that. It means the lifestyle of giving, the lifestyle of pouring yourself into other people makes you bigger, makes you better, blesses you whatever material gain you get back or not. Giving's the right thing to do regardless of the payoff. Come on now. And some of you have been hurt by people and your reaction has been to stop giving. But actually, Paul's saying, that's the moment to give a bit more. John, Paul was bonkers. I know. He was. You know, we, we look at Paul and think, wouldn't it have been cool to hang around with Paul? Like, seriously, most of us wouldn't have lasted 10 minutes with Paul, would we? Me included. We'd have been frazzled by the time Paul finished with us because he's uncompromising. Oh, they're making me poor, but I'm determined to make many rich. What an attitude. That'll stop you becoming dis- moving into disappointment. Here's the last thing, and we're done. Build on the right values, number four. Look at this. It almost is an echo of the previous statement, but it's a bit different. Verse 10, he says, having nothing and yet possessing everything. So the other three we've looked at have been actions of Paul, okay? Things he's done, uh, counterintuitive actions, uh, opposite reactions to what would be expected. This one is much more of a belief system idea. Here's what Paul is saying to to the world, even to you Corinthians, it looks like I have nothing, but I want you to know I possess everything. I've got something that's bigger than this moment. I've got something that's bigger than the pain that I'm in. I've got something that's bigger than this disappointed. I possess so much more. And I love that idea that we as Christians are driven and led by a belief system that's bigger than the now. It's bigger than today. It's bigger than the pain. It's bigger than the disappointment. It's bigger than what he, she did or said. It's bigger than than this literal minute I'm living in. I've got something that's bigger than my badge, bigger than my CV, bigger than my job, bigger than my health. It's bigger. Paul says, I possess something that you Corinthians can neither give me nor take away from me. You can treat me brilliant and I still possess that thing. You could treat me terrible and I still possess that thing. There's something in me that's bigger than this. Bigger than how the boss treats you. Bigger than whether you got that promotion or not, as disappointing as it is. Bigger than the context of even the sickness that we're fighting with right now. It's bigger. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. I want to tell you, that'll, that'll shift your focus. That'll, that'll stop a disappointed from becoming a disappointment, because here's what's happening. You're not zeroing in on now, this minute, this moment, this, this action, this reaction, this word. You are constantly lifting your eyes above all of that and realizing that as followers of Jesus, we've got something much, much bigger. In a few moments, we're going to share communion together. I mean, that's bigger. 
that little piece of bread, that little cup of juice, that's bigger than your job. That, that, that's bigger than your loss. That's, that's bigger than your money. That's, that's bigger than my reputation. That's bigger than my career. It's bigger than everything. Because it's God and flesh coming into my world and being transformed. I remember, let me tell you the story. It's the last story, and then I'm closed, and we'll pray. My, my father was an absolutely delightful man. He's now in heaven, and uh, he passed away in 2013. Uh, and uh, for, for many years, he had a certain job in a certain place, not prudent to say where or what uh, for this illustration, but just to say that uh, he had a little bit of ill health, and as a result of that, he was offered medical redundancy which for my father was an amazing blessing. So he was at the time 63 years of age. Uh, to be offered medical redundancy would, would ensure that he had a financial payout as a result of this, which would help him for the rest of his life and subsidize his pension and all of that. So a marvelous offer. And so uh, he went to have his medical, which would secure this uh, redundancy. And in the midst of the medical, because my dad was the most gorgeous uh, sincere, almost naively sincere. My dad had, didn't have a nasty bone in his body. He's one of the most generous people and integrous people I've ever met in my life. Amazing man. And so in the midst of the medical, he's asked a question, and he answered the question completely honestly because he understood that the context of the question was moving towards this redundancy. So he, he talked about how he was doing and how he was feeling, which didn't change the undermining fact that he was, he was unwell. So my dad just answered this question. As a result of that question, the person doing the medical supervision took that answer, twisted that answer, and as a result, my dad lost all of his medical redundancy. Every penny. And so everyone in the place that he worked in was really upset for him. And they came to him and they said, this is terrible. Look, we'll, we'll get this fixed for you. So the, so the sort of um, the shop steward of the union my dad was a part of came to my dad. And here's what he said. He said to my dad, now, uh, uh, Alec, here's what, we, we, here's what we need you to do. We'll tell you what to say. If you say what we say, you'll get your money back. Uh, and now we're talking, we're talking thousands and thousands of pounds, all right? We're not talking a few, a few rand here. We're talking serious cash, okay? Okay? So, so, so he says, all you have to do is say what we say. And my dad said, but that's a lie. He said, Ali, look, trust us. And my dad said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it. And here's what my dad said to this man. He said, if I lie to get my money... He said, I will be remembered as the Christian pastor, because my dad worked part-time in the church, as a Christian pastor who lied to get his money. That's how you'll remember me. So my dad refused to lie, and he lost all that money. And I remember being on holiday with him a few months later, and we were all sitting, and it was a day like today, and the kids were playing in the garden. And I said to my dad, Dad, do you, do you, ever, do you ever regret that, that you lost all that money? Just, I just thought I'd ask him. And he looked at the children in the garden, and his, he, had, he, you know, he was a man of faith and a man of life. And he looked at his family, and he looked around, and he said to me, here's what he said to me. He said, do I look poor? Right there. Having nothing, possessing everything. 
to, to the world around him, he lost everything. And yet he had something that was greater than the thing that he lost. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not just people of the moment. We're not just people living here in Johannesburg right now today. We have something bigger. We have something better. We have something beyond the disappointed. We have something beyond the pain. We have something beyond the moment. We have something beyond right here and right now. It doesn't minimize your pain, but here's what it does. It helps me to see something bigger in my world that brings that down into the pain. It brings that down into the disappointed. It brings that into my job, into my family, into my sickness, into my finance. And even though these moments seem desperately painful, there is something bigger in my world. Disappointed does not have to become disappointment. And what leads one to the other is not the devil. It's not the devil. He would like that. He'll encourage that. But he can't do that. What leads disappointed to disappointment is choice. And Paul says to us, says to the Corinthians, there's an alternative. So this morning I want to encourage you, in the midst of your own disappointed, is find a fresh focus. Find a new confession. Don't return their poverty with poverty, but return the poverty of the situation you're in with the generosity of spirit. Don't think that the moment you're in is it. It's not. It's just a moment. You possess something much, much bigger than all of that. Amen? Can we pray? Bless you. I'm going to hand over to Pastor Henny in just a moment. We're going to break bread together, share together. But let me pray for you. For some of you right here in this room, the word of the Lord to you, the Holy Spirit has just said to you that you need to change your focus. If you keep looking at the pain, there's only one outcome. The Lord would say to you, focus on what he has given you, not what you've lost. Focus on who he is, not on the situation you are in. For some of us today, it's about literally changing our confession from sorrow to joy. Changing the script and saying, Lord, you are good, even though the situation is painful. You are good and your love endures forever. For some of us, it will be about literally breaking the poverty of the situation we're in by an act of generosity, by an act of service by an act of giving, by an act of going, by doing something that is beyond the moment we're in. For others, it's a recognition that this moment you're living in is just a moment. But actually, you possess right now, even though you don't feel like it, you possess something right now that is much, much bigger. And so, Lord, I pray for my friends here today for those who have experienced disappointed. I pray that you will give them the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word of God, to break that journey, to break that pathway that moves from disappointed to disappointment. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will give them the courage to take that step. 
I pray, Lord, that there will be moments now of revelation that actually show us that, Lord, we can be free, we can be different, we can move beyond the disappointed. And even though people have let us down, even though situations are not what we want them to be, Holy Spirit, we don't allow them to control us and drive us into disappointment. For those of us who have, who have moved into to, to that sense of disappointment, Lord, I pray that you will bring liberty to them right now. That even through fresh focus, they will be set free. That, Lord, even through fresh words of confession, they will break free. That, Lord, through acts of generosity, they will move free. And that, Lord, to each one of them, you will give this understanding that though the moment seems to suggest we have nothing, yet we possess everything. Holy Spirit, as we take bread, as we take the cup, may our eyes be opened. May our eyes be opened to see who you are and what you have. May our eyes be opened to see the bigness of our world and all that you have given to us and all that you have blessed us with. And, Lord, may our lives be transformed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. We're um, just going to hand out the elements of the communion. And um, I just want to, you to notice very carefully that um, Paul was not just applying positive thinking when he said all these things. Um, you know, notice the reversals. Dying yet I live, poor, yet making many rich. Um, having nothing, yet possessing everything. Just, just think to yourself, what is the ultimate example of those reversals? It's Jesus, isn't it? It's Jesus. He's the ultimate example of not just feeling like he's dying, but really dying <laughs> and then living. He says in just two chapters later from what, what John read in, in, in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He's the is the ultimate example of literally possessing everything and then giving it up, becoming a baby in Bethlehem, in a poor family, who when they dedicated him couldn't even afford the, to sacrifice a, a large animal. They, 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 they were allowed to sacrifice two birds because they, they were poor, naturally speaking. And he had nothing, but he possessed everything and this bread and this cup represents that ultimate reversal it epitomizes that ultimate reversal that Christ experienced for us and if we believe in him if we make what he has done part of us and that's what this that's why we eat the bread and drink the cup it allows us to experience those same reversals that Jesus overcame. To move from being disappointed, and, and like John said so beautifully, it's inevitable. You and I will always be disappointed. It's 
unavoidable. Jesus lived the perfect life as the perfect man who never sinned and experienced many disappointments. You cannot avoid disappointment by, by living a better life. We've already seen that. We've seen the perfect life being lived and it was full of disappointment. But yet, it never went over into disappointment. Full of disappointed, but never went over into disappointment. He overcame each of them. And in Christ, we already have the victory over each of them. That's the gospel. That's why, why Paul says here, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, beyond imagination, he became, for our sakes, he became poor, so that we, so that you through him might become rich. So, what I want us to do is, I want you to take whatever disappointment you've experienced in the last while, whatever disappointment, um, or, or whatever disappointed, either disappointed or disappointment, whether it's just an, uh, something that's happened to you, or whether it's something that's crept deeper into your heart. And, and, and sort of become an experience, you know, something that you're living in, something that you're feeling the whole time. Uh, whether it's a disappointed or a disappointment or both, I want you to just bring up the one that weighs most heavily on your heart, the ones that's, that's most immediately in front of you. And I just want you to close your eyes, and I want you to bring it to the cross, to that place of ultimate reversal, the cross that looked like the ultimate defeat, but turned out to be the ultimate victory. And allow, right there at the foot of the cross, metaphorically speaking, allow Jesus to turn your defeat, your disappointment or your disappointment into a victory. Just bring it to him. Just, just, just what I want you to do now is just tell him about the situation and, and tell him how you feel about it. Tell him whether you're disappointed or whether you've you know, become cynical and, and, and entered into disappointment. Just... Be honest with him and, and share your heart. Pour out your heart to him. Lord Jesus, we know that um, if we, like John said, compared scars with Paul, we'd lose. And yet he was he left such a victorious life. But we also know that if Paul had to compare scars with you, he'd lose. And you lived such a victorious life. He overcame so radically. And, and the most beautiful thing to us, Lord Jesus, is that you didn't just overcome for you. You overcame for us. And we want to receive that victory now. Thank you that your victory is our victory. Thank you that your resurrection is our life. Thank you that your um, overcoming, Lord, and, and Lord almost as it were, not only having the, the universe by right of, of creating it, but, but also earning it by right of overcoming it. Well, thank you that all of that is ours, and thank you that we are co-heirs with Christ, and that everything that is yours you share with us, so that we can say with Paul, even, though, even if we had nothing, we own everything because you own everything. And Lord Jesus, as we look at this broken bread and remember how your body was broken for us, Lord, we just bring our, disappoint, our disappointed and our disappointment to you. And we thank you that in you there is ultimate victory. Thank you 
that in you all wrongs will be made right. And all hurts will not only be removed, but eternity will be better because of them. Thank you that even in eternity you will have your scars on your hands and your feet and your side, your brow. But thank you that you will be more glorious and eternity will be more glorious because of it. And thank you that our eternity will also be more glorious because of the scars that we have in you. And as we eat this bread, we just remember that and we receive your victory. Let's eat together. I just feel the Lord Jesus saying through His Spirit that many of us, our greatest disappointment is in ourselves. Not where other people let us down, but where we let ourselves down and where we let Him down. And that's what this cup is about. Jesus' blood was shed to cleanse us from all our sins, to wash away every time we disappointed Him. I was speaking yesterday, I was um, doing a wedding for um, Ruan and Marley, beautiful, and the presence of the Lord was just so special there. And at the um, reception, I was speaking to, to Nadia, who's, who's um, in the church, and she's quite a prophetic lady, and, and she said one day she was ranting and raving at God because someone had betrayed her and disappointed her and let her down. And God said one thing to her simply that stopped her in her tracks. He said to her, <clears throat> he has, that person that hurt you, that betrayed you, that let you down, he has done nothing to you that you haven't done to me. I still love you. I forgive you. And that, that is this cup. Isn't it amazing that God loves us so much that in our worst moments when we let Him down and let ourselves down so terribly, He makes provision for our forgiveness. And He doesn't resent us because He has to forgive us. You know, it's not like some of you sitting here thinking, yeah, God forgives me because He's God, you know, and because He has to be gracious and merciful and loving and all of that kind of stuff, you know. No, He does it because He wants to. <laughs> you know, He really... God enjoys forgiving us more than we like sinning. God for, enjoys forgiving more than we enjoy sinning. That's the amazing God He is. That's the amazing God He is. It didn't come cheap to Him. It cost Him His life. So I want you to, if you're disappointed in yourself, if you've let yourself down, if you let God down and, and you, you're walking around with this deep disappointment in yourself, this cup, which represents the new covenant blood of Jesus, is stronger than your disappointment. Receive it. Receive His forgiveness. Receive His love. And let this, that heavy weight of disappointment drop off you. Let's drink together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Lord, you are awesome. You are great. Your gospel is overwhelming in its beauty. Lord, and we are so deeply touched by your heroic sacrifice for us. How you gave up everything for us so that you can give everything to us. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. That's all we can say. We can never pay you back. We can never make it up to you. We can only thank you, Lord, and live lives of just deep thankfulness and gratitude towards you, Lord, for what you did for us and for what you are making us. Lord, we want to become more like you, Lord, because we want the world to see you the way we are starting to see you. We want them to see this great hero that we are seeing. Lord, they're looking at superheroes and Iron Man and Superman and Batman and all kinds of cheap knockoffs and cheap imitations of the ultimate hero. We want them to see you, Jesus. We want them to see you. And we want their hearts to be overwhelmed and melted as ours are by your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.